You're listening to the Just Giants podcast with Grump and the Cranky Fan. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes and SoundCloud today. This is picked off, Landon Collins, and another interception for number 21. Welcome to Just Giants with Grump and the Cranky Fan, the best damn podcast for the best damn football team. I'm your host, the Football Grump, and with me as always is Mike, the Cranky Fan. Thanks everyone for tuning in. Grump, you're going to catch a very special Cranky Fan tonight because I have been spent the last weekend in London, so I am jet-lagged. I was at the New York City FC soccer match tonight, so I am drunk. So you're going to have to kind of steer me along to make sure this is a coherent podcast. Well, that is that is certainly what editing is for. And I will be chomping on a slice of pizza to keep me awake, so... <laughs> This is this is as raw form as you're going to get a cranky fan until the regular season. That's right. I've had to suffer through enough Rays, you know, snatching vict- defeat from the jaws of victory for the last couple of days. So I'm not in a very good mood. So. Oh. I'm a uh, closet Mets fan if I like baseball at all. So about as happy as I'll get about baseball. <laughs> deadpan, but the guy who told me several years back i don't understand the point of a meaningless game like baseball so oh no i mean like i said closet like if i have to watch <laughs> i'd rather be watching the mets but really don't care um all right so a little bit of news before we get into our uh, position breakdown um the giants showed up for voluntary workouts 99% of the roster showed up i don't know if that's an actual percentage but all but one showed up so if you guessed Odell Beckham because he's going to get traded, you guessed incorrectly. If you guessed the one offensive lineman who probably need to impress the most people and was switching positions, you would have guessed correctly that Eric Flowers did not show up. Yeah, so Odell Beckham showed up to much, much to the chagrin of the media who could barely write an article about it. Um <laughs> But Eric Flowers goes into the spotlight again. Um, all right, so let's talk about it. Is it overblown that Beckham showed up? Is it overblown that Eric Flowers did not? What do you think? I don't think either are overblown. I, I definitely think there are messages sent with both cases. Uh, I think Beckham realized, you know, he put his, you know, thumb to the wind and saw what, you know, the perception of, of him was. And I think he did the right thing. Is it really, really important that he actually shows up for OTAs? No, just to get the media, just, just to get the media off his back. And uh, you know, I think I think that was an important sign. So let's let's be a little bit clear about what exactly they're doing when they show up. They're really not doing anything. They're hitting the weight room. They're meeting each other. You know, they're just kind of getting into football sheep shape and meeting the coaches. That's really it. Um, there's a lot to be said because of restrictions in the CBA that you could be doing more for yourself by not being at OTAs, right? And that's what Beckham did the last couple of years working out with his own personal trainer. That's right. I mean he worked with Chris Carter. He was able to do more things than the CBA actually allowed if he were to show up. And that's all fine and good. Um, I mean I would like for everybody with a completely new regime, new offense, new defense – New special teams, literally new everything. New head coach, new GM. There is not one holdover from this team except for some of the roster. 
I would like everybody to show up. Is it a huge deal that Eric Flowers didn't show up? It's just kind of disappointing in my opinion. I mean, let, let's remember, it is voluntary. It is not mandatory. It is something that they do on their own volition to show up or not show up. There's no penalty if they don't. There's no fine. There's no suspension. You know, And even the comments that are made in public, you can't say anything like, you know, I'm disappointed someone didn't show up or – you know, it's just it's just the kind of way it is um, for someone like Eric Flowers that really is fighting for his, you know, his next contract with the Giants, if not anywhere else. You know, perception is everything. And that's what OTAs become a, a game of perception. And the bottom line is he didn't show up. Yeah. And let's be clear about and I, I'm with you. I, I would have liked for him to show up, but. I mean, we hold we we heard all last season about how Eric Flowers and Bobby Hart never left the building. Didn't really yeah. do much good for Bobby Hart, you know. And who's not in the building right now? Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. Um. And for people who think that Beckham is outside of his mind, asking for a lot of money, if he doesn't show up for uh, you know, minicamp and OTAs, if he doesn't want to play in a preseason game. Here's a little something just to keep in mind. Beckham has been activated for his fifth-year contract, correct? Yes. So Beckham is due to make $8 million this year based on his position and where he was selected in the draft only, right? For the sake of context and in the defense of Beckham not wanting to injure himself and ruin his next contract, if Eric Flowers were to get his fifth-year option uh, activated from the Giants – Next year, he would be making $12 million. So just something to keep in mind for those of you who think that Eric that, that Odell Beckham is a diva for doing that or should be putting his team first. It's a guy who's pretty much been the offense for the last couple of years versus pretty much a guy who has pretty much been the scapegoat for the last couple of years. And one would be getting paid more than the other. So Yeah, yeah I mean – He's been drastically underpaid for what he has been producing for the Giants the last few years. So, I, I mean... He, he, he's a guy that's being underpaid. We want him to show up to prove that he's, I don't know, a team player as opposed to someone that really has one foot out the door right now. And, you know, quite frankly, has to impress. You know, he has a clean slate. And this is, you know... This is a good you, step one. It's a good step one. And not showing up for it it just the perception looks bad and it's just one of those things you can't use on the ledger to look on your favor if you're trying to get that extension or the next contract so yeah um in some less delightful news it came out just recently in like the last couple hours that uh Landon Collins might be seeking a second surgery on his forearm because it is not healing from the break as fast as doctors would like um you know, he apparently has not made a decision on this. Uh, I, I mean, I think a, a, the fan in me wants him to just get the surgery now, get it healed in time for the season. The human in me wants to remember that this is still surgery. And it's it's while it seems like an easy, easy decision for all of us, it's not our body. You know, it's not the rest of our lives. So, you know, there's probably three decisions, three, three options here is to – Wait it out and let it heal at its own natural pace. Uh, get surgery and let it heal a little bit faster. Or, you know, just 
ignore the fact that it's not fully healed and go back at regular place without surgery. And only one of those is a stupid decision. I'm looking right here on an ESPN update on my phone. Landon Collins expected to need another forearm surgery. will be sidelined six to eight weeks. Which so, would be June. Right. I mean, when are mandatory minicamp? Is that – but it's also Landon Collins. We're talking about a guy that's kind of, you know, the captain, the leader of the defense. And, yeah, I get it. We have a whole new defensive scheme coming in, but he's still Landon Collins. He's not some rookie coming in who's learning an NFL playbook for the first time. It's not critical that he's out there. In the capacity of being the captain, he just has to be there. Whether or not he is full go, I think, is irrelevant, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I would say mandatory minicamp is June 12th through 14th. I mean, that's really cutting the edge of his end of healing process. I know they're not doing much. I imagine that they'll be as cautious as possible. So he it'd probably be the kind of thing where he'd show up and not do much of anything with his arm. I, I guess the question really turns, you know, it becomes on September 1st where when the season starts. Does he want to be 100% healthy going the surgery route or do you let it heal on its own route? And well, if that's the case, he's not going to do anything probably now until September 1st. Yeah, probably, I would say. Yeah. And again, he's not a guy who needs to prove himself with anything. So Yeah, I, Um. while this news is sort of disheartening for probably what, maybe one of the top three guys on the defense um, – it's it's really not critical news in my opinion. I, I think it's fine. If I heard the words ACL, I'd be a lot more concerned. Dr. James Andrews. Yeah, if he's going down to Birmingham, I'd be very concerned. But <laughs> Yeah, but I mean, that that's pretty much a quick shot news for the last week. Um, and now we can jump into what we're kind of trying to review for the rest of the season. We've only got two more positions left to cover, and then it's draft time, baby. It's crazy. You know, we are 15 days away from the draft. And before we get into our discussion today of inside linebackers, let me ask you kind of our question that I've been asking the last few episodes. You know, there's been so much smoke been blown around from the Giants. You know, what what is your overall take right now? What's your overall feeling? On the Giants position and what they're trying to do? Yeah. Um, I think that they are carefully plotting out scenarios for everything. I think they they have a team working on the big board, and I think Dave Gettleman is sitting back and looking at the big board, looking at the roster, talking with his coaches, and you know, saying if we're offered this, this, and this, we'll trade down. If if the Browns select this guy, we'll trade down. It, you know, if you know. I think they're going to have a they're, – they're going to do a lot more work on this draft than they probably have in the last couple drafts put together. Yeah. With the amount I, of wheeling and dealing that might go on, the amount of offers that are going to come flying their way, and I'm sure have already come their way. I'm sure that they will go into draft night without having moved, and I think the day of the draft there will be – they will know exactly what their position is worth and what player is worth that spot. I think they've done a fantastic job of blowing so many smoke signals that nobody knows what they're going to do. I think when you see these stories that they've met again with Barkley for the third time or they met with Sam Darnot or something, I think those are carefully planted stories by them to just completely throw everybody off the scent of what we actually want to do. 
And I also I agree with you also that I don't think if their trade's going to happen, it won't happen until draft night. Yeah, I mean, it might happen the night before at the earliest, I would say. Just uh-huh. enough to, to cause last-minute chaos and allow the well, board just, to kind of get Just flipped. to build maximum leverage, I think. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and I, I think, to your point with the top 30 visits and all that stuff, I think the visits and the evaluations are due diligence. I think the reports coming out before the visits, that they're in love with somebody— that's the smoke. So that's the genius behind it is by of getting the hype on Saquon Barkley, then letting it die for a little bit, getting the hype on Sam Darnold, and then bringing in Saquon Barkley for the visit just to completely disorient the rest of the league. Of course, because, you know, nobody knows what we're going to do. I mean, we've been talking about this now for weeks and months. We don't know what they're ultimately going to do. We don't know, you know, we've laid the case out for – you don't draft a quarterback because you need a quarterback. We, we've laid out the case that we don't feel we need a quarterback right now. Just because you're an opportunity to draft one doesn't mean you need to take one. So having Eli Manning on this roster, who we both feel is at worst a serviceable quarterback for the next couple of years, and at best somebody that is finally surrounded with a healthy receiving core and offensive line that isn't Swiss cheese – you know, there's no reason to mortgage the future with a pick that you're not comfortable with, with a guy you don't like. So I, I think having Eli on this roster makes us the complete wild card. And, you know, I, I think the the price for that number two pick keeps going up and up and up and up as we get closer to draft day. Yeah, I mean, I agree with that. Eli Manning is the foot that Dave Gettleman can pivot on, if you can picture that in your head better. Um, I mean, it's really the rock there. We can pivot forward to a new quarterback if needed, can pivot back and trade out of that spot and collect more picks to build the roster. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, there's there's tons of things that we can do. Um, Remember one thing, Grump. Mm-hmm. Draft day is not a reality show. It's not who makes the biggest splash. You know, I once again, I was on an eight-hour flight yesterday, and I got sucked into watching that fucking draft day movie again. And the Cleveland Browns in the movie were motivated by an owner who wanted to make a splash. Draft day is not about making splash. Draft day is about setting your team up for long-term success. So Sam Darno or you know any of these quarterbacks are a splashy pick, but does not necessarily mean – it ensures long-term success for this particular franchise. So other teams out there that – and we know who they are – might come knocking at our door on draft day eve or something and may offer the farm because they want to make a splash. That's not what the Giants are. They didn't make the, they didn't make the trade for Eli Manning because it was a splashy pick. They thought he was somebody that could be successful with them for the next 15 years. And guess what? He has been. So – yeah, I, I totally agree. Um, the The week of the draft, we're going to kind of give our final thoughts before the draft actually happens. But, I mean, I have a feeling that even that week, we're not going to have much more insight. We can only speculate at that point. So, Yeah, I think I think what we're going to see in that, you know, the our coverage of the week of the draft is basically what do we want to see? Yeah. It's, it, we, we don't know. Um, Again, 
do we decide to draft a quarterback and take one? All right. Then, you know, we have a plan going forward. I'm not going to be super pissed off and, you know, burning down my house because we drafted a quarterback who we, none of us feel maybe a franchise lock hall of famer. You know, if we draft Saquon Barkley, all right, well, maybe not what I would have done, but I'm not going to be super pissed off about that as well. Sure. And if we trade down, I might be dancing around if we do, because I think that's secretly what I want to do is I want to create, I want to create the ability to have more assets to make this team better. I think there's so many holes on this team that we need flexibility to make that happen. It's not going to be a one year fix to turn this team around from a three loss, a three win team. So Uh, that said, there's one element to the defense that we haven't covered yet. Um, And in my opinion, this is probably the most important piece uh, the, the the hole here. So as we've moved to a 3-4 system, we now have two inside linebackers. Um, we've traded for Alec Ogletree. BJ Goodson is probably slotted in to be right next to him. Um, behind them are a bunch of undesirables. Calvin Munson, Curtis Grant, Mark Herzlick was re-signed. None of those guys are bad. None of them are starting quality. The cockroach, yeah. as I call Mark Herzlick, for years because – He's going to survive longer than the nuclear war that's impending. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> that got a little too real. Um, Sorry, man. <laughs> so, you know, th- this is going to be, in my opinion, more important than the outside linebacker position, which I also think is going to be addressed, you know, to generate some pass rush. But, you know, the inside linebacker spot in a 3-4 system has got to have uh, a decent amount of speed. It's got to be able to cover, got to be able to blitz, got to be able to read offenses, line people up. It, it's super important. Um, and, you know, I've said this and I'm going to keep saying it. James Betcher's system, the more versatile you are, the better. So there's a couple guys in this draft that maybe they played outside linebacker in college. Maybe they played inside. I'm I'm going to group them together as guys who could play both positions. Um, and, you know, probably the one that's on everybody's radar is Roquan Smith from Georgia. And I know you've seen enough Georgia to make yourself throw up. <laughs> I've uh, seen enough of him that I never want to see him ever again. Yeah. And I never sure I'll even forgive him if we draft him. That's how good he is. Yeah, I mean the, the guy's an athletic freak. He's a little light um, you know, because of that. He's he's a little you know, at 6'1" 235 is not super ideal but not bad either. Um and I think he doesn't really have any weaknesses to his game um, other than maybe a little bit of injury concern, durability concern, but you know, the ability to replays the athleticism to come in on blitzes and, you know, do even man coverage, but he's, he's excellent in zone coverage. He's got good speed to chase and pursue. Um, you know, like I said, the only thing is he's a little bit light and not as strong as you'd like. And he could, so he can get pushed around, but yeah, but I feel like you get into a really good, you know, program, an off-season program that could be alleviated really quickly. Yeah, I mean, it, it, so, some of it too is a little bit of technique. Uh, you know, he's six one and he stands every bit of it, which is not what you want. You, you kind of want him to get down low, get his pad level right when he's taking on blockers, so he can kind of at least stalemate the block and doesn't get shoved out of the way. But mm-hmm. you know, when I say versatility, this guy is it. I mean, I think you could move him around to any of the four linebacker spots, and he'll be disruptive. Uh, you know, following that, Alabama's Rashawn Evans. Uh, I, again, another SEC guy comes from a big time school. Following Reuben Foster and the likes of him, uh, you know, 
you've seen enough Alabama to make yourself throw up too. <laughs> yeah. yeah, the problem is I didn't get to see him last year because we were watching the SEC game at home. But uh, yeah, yeah, I mean the, the thing about Bama is they are such a machine right now. Is you don't have to have guys come in and play as true freshmen or even redshirt freshmen where they're not ready. You know, they're in the system. They are getting. You know, Bama has top, especially on the defensive side of the ball. Fantastic coordinators, fantastic, fantastic position players, and this is a guy that's kind of um, waited his time and, and and got the proper coaching. And has been fantastic. So, yeah, I, and I think that this guy he he's rarely been used as an effective blitzer, but he does have outside linebacker pass rush moves. He's got a pretty decent spin move. Um, I don't love him the way that I liked Reuben Foster coming out last year. And if you, you if you listen to this podcast last year, congratulations, you're the only one. Um, <laughs> yeah. um, you know who you are out there. Yeah. But but Reuben Foster last year, I just I love the way he hit guys. He was able to read and diagnose, and he just he just always tackled going forward, which is something I love to see at a linebackers. Because um, you know you have the time to get your downhill steam going to. I want to see a running back get stopped and pushed back. I don't want to see, you know, linebackers dragging guys. That's not what I want to see. And, you know, Rashawn Evans, he doesn't remind me of Reuben Foster all that much, but he is an incredibly good linebacker. He would be an excellent fit next to Alec Ogletree, you know, and rotating in with B.J. Goodson, et cetera, moving around inside, outside, wherever they need him. My so we're talking, We're talking like a second-round pick probably for him. I mean, he would probably be late first. I'm thinking, you know, you know, if you're keeping the trade with the Bills in mind, 22 is not an unreasonable spot for him. Mm-hmm. Um, my my pick, if we're going there though, if if we're going to be in the 20s range, Leighton Vanderish from Boise State. I didn't know a damn thing about this guy until a couple of weeks ago. I mean, I knew he was on the radar. I just, you know, watched another film. Um, I love this dude. Uh, he's not quite as athletic as Roquan Smith, but he's damn close. Um, he's, he's, he's one of those guys who tackles like Reuben Foster. He's, he's always going forward. Um, he's big and strong. He's six, four, 255 pounds. So that's three inches and 20 pounds on Roquan Smith. Um, and he has, I, I, I'm not sure if he played basketball or what he, he's, he's an athletic transfer. He's only played for like a year, I think, but, mm-hmm. The athleticism you can see in his hips and the way he's able to flip them and turn and run. Uh, I mean, this guy could could probably cover Evan Ingram pretty well. So, I mean, that should say everything I need to say. Yeah. Um, he runs a four six five. It's not the end of the world. Yeah, yeah. Um, if you have the chance to put on some film of Leighton Vanderish from Boise State, I highly recommend it. You'd be very, very happy if the Giants drafted him. I guess the question is, what's the level of competition he played against with Boise State? Well, I mean, at Boise State, you know, I, I understand that they're not in the strongest conference, but they don't they don't not play good competition. Uh, Oregon. Okay. A, a, a mid-level Power 5 conference team right now. Yeah, yeah. And it was in the Las Vegas Bowl, and he was disruptive. I, I mean, I'm pretty sure he had at least one sack in that game. Uh, so, so playing against Oregon... You, but remember, you, though, when, when you're evaluating bowl games, you have to remember that a good percentage of the people playing are treating that as, you know, vacation. I mean, that's true. But, I mean, 
And I know that uh, – what's his name? I forget his name. Whoever the running back is for Oregon, I can't think of his name right now, did not play. And that was a little bit of controversial. But, you know, I always understand when guys sit up bowl games. But Well, that's, that's, the, uh, that's the trend right now. If you are someone who's going to the NFL, we know it. They are not going to risk – think about it. A bowl game is not in the regular cadence of a regular season in college football. You know, you play you know, a, a 12-game schedule over 13 weeks, and all of a sudden – you after the the uh, conference championships, if you're even in that game, you have a five week period where you are not even practicing or doing anything. You're getting ready for finals. You're getting ready for a holiday break. And it's one of those things you just kind of like, okay, let's practice for about a week and a half for a bowl game where, let's be frank, doesn't mean anything. So it makes a lot of sense for these guys not to play. You know, Leonard Fournette was one of the first guys to kind of start that trend, and I get that. My point being also is when you're watching a bowl game and you're watching tape, you are not seeing 100% effort. You're not seeing 100% preparation that you would if this game was in mid-October in a conference game. So just you know, keep that in mind when you're watching tape and film of guys in bowl games. Um, I would I would I would put more stock in what they do like in senior bowl practice and oh yeah sure. conference games and stuff. I mean yeah that's that's all fair. Um, what I will say though is. I would expect then for a guy to be dominant in a game like that, and he was. So that's good. I mean, believe me, that's not a negative. I'm yeah. not. I'm not. You know, putting a guy down for kicking ass in a game, but you know, it's not the same. Having as if it a were, having yeah. a fantastic film on a game like that does it all of a sudden translate from someone that you know people were saying was a fourth or fifth round pick. All of a sudden, he's a second round pick. That's that's the you know you got to be careful about. We've seen that a hundred times where guys. But one game on film, if you're not watching the guy, and all of a sudden you're overrated. Yeah, uh, I mean, nevertheless, when I when I watch this, I think that Vanderish has probably the highest ceiling of all the linebackers. It's pretty close, though. Um, and you know, the fact that he only has one year experience and he's already this dominant is telling. Uh, you know, I think that he's a fast learner. I think he's a willing worker, uh, a willing learner, and a hard worker. And when he plays with a mean streak, I mean, so often you see these guys who are new to the game and they're a little passive, they're a little processing with everything. It's Mm -hmm. not an easy position to just come in and be a one-year player. You know what I mean? No, not at all. Yeah, this this is a guy who's got to read and react. He's got to get guys lined up. Um, And the way he recognizes routes is pretty damn good too. I mean – I, I I think any team that drafts this guy is going to be happy with him, and I would certainly be thrilled if it were the Giants. Um, the, Again, the question the question is going to be, and we're going to kind of caveat this with all our picks, you know, going forward, and we'll talk about this right before the draft is where are we actually picking? Yeah, well, I mean, <laughs> that that might be something uh, breaking news where we're picking. So, again, this is. The Giants are going to have a big board that is incredibly, incredibly detailed and uh, scenarios for everything. And it's it's for this kind of reason. Um, another guy that I don't think is on as many radars as probably should be uh, is Oren Burks from Vanderbilt. Um, now, you and I saw Vanderbilt play last year. We did. Uh, in person and defensively. That's a pretty good team. And they've been a very good team for several years now. I mean, they, you know, 
when they had James Franklin as the coach and now they have what's the name as their coach, they keep themselves in games by having fantastic defense. They've had great linebackers for 20 years now. So, you know, that's what they pride themselves on. You know, him and, and, and uh, Zach Cunningham, they're two good, two, two good linebackers on that team. Yeah, and I mean, he kind of reminds me of Zach Cunningham. Not as good, but, you know, he's more the athletic type. He's very he's very quick to diagnose plays. Um, he's fast. He's really good in coverage. Um, and, you know, he, he does attack the line of scrimmage. Uh, you know, I think he lacks the instincts that Zach Cunningham has. And um, he certainly could stand to add some strength and uh, learn to use his hands better, but... You know, definitely a guy that not a lot of people are talking about and probably should be. And, you know, quite frankly, a lot more people should be watching Vanderbilt's defense than they do, um, mainly because they're sort of the SEC team that gets overlooked. They're, um, they're one of those teams where they almost always play at 12 o'clock on a Saturday. They usually play against like an Auburn or something, and you're like, ah, no chance. And there'll be that one or two games a year they get their asses kicked. But then there's that one or two games where it's mid-fourth quarter, and they're in these in these ugly... 10-9 games. And why are they 10-9? They're playing fantastic defense. They're playing good run defense. You know, you'll see a team that's like 2 of 11 on third down against them. And that's, you know, they try to shorten the game that way. So, I'm sorry, are you describing the Vanderbilt-Florida game from last year? <laughs> uh, the one from 2017, 2016, 2015. It's like once every five or six years we beat the shit out of Vandy, but those other ones are just, you know, they're slugs. Slugs. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so w- the the guy that's probably on everybody's radar that I, I I just don't understand is Tremaine Edmonds from Virginia Tech, and you know physically I see it at six five two thirty five, and he's incredibly fast. He's he's strong, but when I watch him play, I just don't see it. And you know, I don't think that. I think I think a little bit is what it is is uh, the, the the traits that he has and the fact that he's young he has all the tools to mold into the perfect linebacker and that's fine if you want to go with high ceiling uh, low floor mm-hmm. I don't think the Giants are in that position this year no I think they again we don't know what the mindset of is inside the building if they feel they're a short term fix or they're in a complete overhaul rebuild so well, yeah but i mean is there in your opinion with this roster after going three and 13 do you want to swing for the fences kind of pick where it's maybe we can mold him into the greatest linebacker ever but right now he's just a no all the tools none of the instant eric flowers essentially no i i think this this team can't afford right now to waste picks yeah so i uh, i I don't want necessarily sure things, but I also don't want unknowns. Yeah. You know, I don't want another projects. JPP pick where – Yes. I mean I, I understand how well that worked out, and it can, and I get that. But at you this point, we want to draft like football players. You know, I yeah, don't want to draft you, tools. Yeah, you don't want to bank on that happening. Yeah. So. And, and I see the same thing with Darius Leonard from South Carolina State. Um and I think one of the things that disappointed me the most about watching his film is that he's playing at a much lower level of competition and not dominating. Not in my they opinion. Even, they even Division One, South Carolina State. I, I don't think so. I mean, I think they're they play F- like I think Southern. FCS. You know, yeah, that's FCS. Uh, and again, I get it. All the tools there. He's certainly 
going to be a good football player. Uh, but I mean, drafting in the second round, even I wouldn't, I wouldn't do it. It's just not with this team, not with the way the Giants are now. You know, if we're coming off of a potential Super Bowl run, and you know, whatever, sure. Yeah. but that's we're not drafting where we're along at. the margins just to improve the position, the depth and position. Yeah, but we need guys we can plug in to start playing right away to start building this thing and turning the ship around. Yeah, and, and the antithesis to those two guys is Josie Jewell from Iowa, where he is certainly not as athletic as the other guys around him. He's just not. Uh, you know, he's six one, two thirty five, but he's incredibly smart. He's very good at reading route combinations. He's he's damn good in coverage because of it, because he's able to recognize right away and read and react. Um, but he's not the fastest guy. But he is instinctive. He knows his positions. He's a film junkie, um, and he's a hard worker. And you know, I would rather with this team being the way it is, I'd rather take that guy if I were to choose than the unmolded clay that could this- be. You know. Yeah, this team, especially on defense, needs a culture change. Yeah, you know they need guys who just live in the, live in the film room and just want to get better. You know, I think uh, you know we've talked about this a hundred times. A guy like Eli Apple, that light better come on right now, yeah, or really. he's going to be gone. And you know, something maybe learning by example. We're seeing guys are just you know living in the film room, living in the weight room. First one to practice, first one, last one to leave type of guys. Now, I don't really know a whole lot about this, um, and I just want to touch on this briefly, but I believe there's there's two different scouting agencies or something like that in the league, and the Giants, when Dave Gettleman joined, have switched from whatever they used to use to the other one that they used in Carolina. Um, and Dave Gettleman made that switch, and he said that when he left the Giants and went to Carolina, he had no intention of making them switch, but ended up liking their system better. And when he came here, it was one of the first things that he did because he said what he noticed was the Giants were too often picking guys that were lower on other teams' draft boards uh, You know, over, the, over his time in Carolina, which had oh, been absolutely. all of our bad drafts. And I think that's what it is. I think they were sort of picking the future, what they saw, the ceiling, and not oh, they were, the player that was. Yeah, they're absolutely enamored with physical size. Like, yeah. you know, Eric if I can Flowers, have an if I can have an inside if I can have an inside linebacker, I want him to be this size, this weight, this speed. Not what, you know, the eye test doesn't matter. Like, this guy's a football player. Well, no, this guy's two inches taller. I'm taking this guy. And you're right. I think that's the problem with this team is done. You know, Eli Flower uh Eric Flowers, you look at him, you're like, Jesus Christ. That's a Pro Bowl left tackle for the next ten years, except he doesn't have that motor to be that guy. Yeah. So, you you may see a philosophical switch on the way the type of guys this team. You know, I think it all goes back to that quote that they were saying earlier. They want to have professional football players, not football players who play professional football. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I think that's the big difference between picking between Tremaine Edmonds and Josie Jewell. I think in this administration, regime, whatever you want to call it, they're going to lean towards Josie Jewell, the guy who plays football, plays it well, and loves the game, versus Mm -hmm. the guy who could potentially be one of the best ones in the world because he was born the right way. Yeah, he could be, but you know something? I don't think his team wants to take as many chances like you said before. So Yeah, yeah. 
All right, that is it for us. Yeah, we, we apologize for being a little late this week. We were uh, internationally traveling and a lot of Guinnesses over on the other uh, side <laughs> of the pod. So, yeah. Um, and here's here's a shock for you, Grump. Yeah. Nobody gives a shit about the giant strap board over in uh, London. That's not true. <laughs> I have I have a British follower who likes to ask my opinion on everything. I, I'm not sure of his actual name, but his handle is Siri. Uh, so Siri, if you're listening, um, I appreciate going back and forth with you. Siri, you have a fantastic country and a fantastic city, but <laughs> the limited people I talk to, I want to engage about the Giants or the NFL, could care less. I, I so. believe it. Um. But be sure to reach out to me on Twitter, everyone, at football underscore grump. I am happy to talk um, or grump, whichever you prefer. <laughs> um, and you can find all of our podcast episodes there at Just Giants Pod and on iTunes and SoundCloud where you can subscribe and should subscribe. You could catch me as always at The Cranky Fan. I am very cranky these days with the plight of my shitty Tampa Bay Rays. The fact I got thrown out of a soccer stadium in London for cheering for my Tottenham Hotspur. Yeah, I'm just not very happy these days. Hopefully my lightning will make a long run in the playoffs against Grump's uh, New Jersey Devils, by the way. Need a little wager on this, I think. Oh, please. I've lost enough. Just let me be happy that the Devils snuck in there. (laughs) When we bit slap you in five, don't come crying to me. Uh, We'll see. Yeah. Okay. All right, everyone. Go Giants. Go Giants.